We've all seen the incredible horse and rider combinations as the backbone of our sport. But what about everything else that makes the equestrian world tick? From the everyday grind to the world-class professional, join the Equestrian Podcast as we talk about every equestrian discipline in a way that hasn't been done before. Now here's your host, rider, trainer, and influencer behind my equestrian style, Bethany Lee. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Equestrian Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Lee, and this is episode 160. Are you still there? I'm going to announce the guest, which is not super exciting because it's me, and I just wanted to chat a little bit and hear from you. So I asked you over on my Instagram stories the other day to send me any question you have, kind of an ask me anything type of scenario, but in all things training, riding, my equestrian style, equestrian podcast, equestrian workshop, the industry as a whole, you name it, everything was fair game. So I got a lot of amazing questions, both on my stories and I asked you to submit some voice memos so that they could come on the podcast as a question. So I'm going to show a few of those as well. Those people also got thrown into a giveaway and the winner receives a My Equestrian Style stirrup pouch. So I'll announce that at the end of this episode. So I thought it would be fun to chat a little bit about my frequently asked questions, do a little Q&A, and have a good time to celebrate the 160th episode. So let's go ahead and get started. I do have to say a lot of your amazing questions had to do directly with two of my solo episodes very early on in the Equestrian Podcast, and that is episode 17, which is my very first solo episode where I talk about how I got to where I am today with my equestrian style and the podcast and the literal winding road that got me to where I am. I had no idea I was going to be a trainer or have my equestrian style or anything in the equestrian industry for that matter. So if you had questions about that, make sure you tune in to episode 17 of the Equestrian Podcast. If you had questions specifically about finding a dream job or a passion within the equestrian industry, episode 19 is for you. That's my second solo episode where I chat all about how to find something you know that you are super passionate about And chances are there is a great equestrian job for you. So I thought that it would be good just to mention those two episodes and then carry on into my third solo episode, which is this episode, to chat about some updated questions. So let's get to the questions. First, I'm going to run through a few of my questions that were submitted via text in my stories. And then towards the end, I'm going to share the voice memo questions um, with you as well. So uh, several of you asked about good pole or jump exercises or flat exercises that I like to incorporate both in my riding and in my lessons. So a big one that I love to do, first of all, I don't really love to jump a ton in my lesson structure. I think that as many people and many professionals and many people who have been guests on the podcast would also agree with, is that jumping day in and day out, even every other day, is a little counterintuitive to what you're trying to do. And if you are looking to have consistent rounds, if you are a hunter-jumper rider, working on the flat and finding that balance and connection and pace and consistency on the flat is so important before you are 
constantly focusing on the fences. So that is why a lot of my exercises have to do with flat work as well as some pulls and some small jump exercises. So for the flat work, I really like to work on pace and straightness. I think those are two key ingredients to a successful ride and a successful course. So I do lots of things like From the walk, for instance, I want to always start with a nice forward connected walk. It's always good to let your horse have its head, put the reins to the buckle and let them stretch down. Sure, 100%. But I think there's something to be said about a walk with a short rein, arms and elbows out in front of you following the motion and a connected walk with leg on, alternating leg left, right, left, right, as you should at the walk, and then really finding your horse and feeling your horse come up, work through its top line, feel its hind end pushing, having that connection is key at the walk because it really sets the tone for the rest of the ride. So from there, I like to do things like lateral work. I feel like lateral work really helps open your horse's side body up and helps them kind of key into their coordination and listening to your aids, which also, again, sets you up for a good rest of your ride. So I will do things like leg yields, shoulders in, haunches in, turn on the forehand, turn on the haunches. And that's definitely something I would love to explain in a video format because Thinking about it now and trying to explain what I would do, I think it would take a very long time. It would be a very long episode, and this is probably the only question I would be able to answer. So that will be a video for sure. I promise. Cross my heart. So that is definitely something that I try to do right off the bat after a connected walk and do some lateral work. Then at the trot and the canner, I will really focus on straightness and then transitions. Transitions are such a big part of what I do in my day-to-day work as a rider and then my day-to-day work with my students as a trainer. So what I will do is have a forward walk, halt, sitting trot, trot, sitting trot, halt, and just continually organize that and keep my horse on its toes so that it's listening through a quiet seat and a consistent hand, but then also really listening to your leg aids when you are going back up in your transition. So just a really allowing your horse to tune in. This is also something that I like to do, especially in the beginning of the week when maybe my horse has had a day or two off, is a little fresh and needs to really focus on something. So love transitions. There's so many different benefits to working on transitions. And that also extends to the canter. I will also then, once I have sent my horse forward and have him warmed up at the canner, I will then transition down to a collected canner and then a lengthening canner and then a sitting trot and then a posting trot and then a canner again and constantly have that change so that, and I will not change my transition until I have my horse straight and properly at the gate. If I have my horse going from the canner to a sitting trot, It's not just the fact that I've gotten him down to a sitting trot, but the sitting trot needs to be slow, collected, balanced. He is off of his forehand, pushing through his hind end straight, and then I can move on. So with all that being said, again, transitions are a big part of what I do in my training. 
Then moving forward to some jumping exercises. Again, this is such a big, I mean, common, common exercise that if you listen to the podcast at all, so many riders talk about this exercise because it's very straightforward, but it's super effective. And why not? Like, why reinvent the wheel and do something crazy complicated when we know this works and this works well? This helps both rider and horse. What I like to do is set up three jumps or honestly three poles about five strides or so apart, four to five strides, depending on the size of your ring, but they would be ideally in a straight line. So it would be a four stride to four stride, let's say. And with a pole exercise, I love to also see if I can, you know, depending on my arena and what is going on in the ring right now with other jumps, I love to put it in the middle and set it up as kind of like a figure eight along the long side of the ring so that I can get at it both going towards home, away from home, off the right lead and off the left lead to really practice that balance. So what I do is I pick up the canner in a nice, easy canner normal strides get four to four. Then what I do is I come around, send him forward, take the entire long side to reestablish my pace. And then I do a three to a three. And then again, I change direction, like really sit and collect my canner. And then I get a five to a five. So I am constantly updating that pace, checking with my horse. And I have the time to really change that pace But once I'm straight, and this is a weird saying that I always say, I think I made it up one day during a lesson, but once you're straight, you're too late. And that is in regards to your pace. You need to do all the work around the ends of the ring and when you're not on your approach to your jump. But once you are straight to your fence, it is too late to make a last minute big decision. Obviously, if there is a danger component to your distance, do what you need to do. But if you have a nice balanced canner that is straight and your horse is organized and concentrated, once you are straight and perpendicular to your fence, you should maintain the pace all the way to the base of the jump. So with all that being said, love to focus on poles with this exercise. You can even get more intricate and do things like a four to a five or a five to a four or a three to a five, five to three, and really work on where you're lengthening in your line and where you're collecting in your line. For instance, let's say you are doing in this normal four to four line, let's say you're doing a five to a three. You want to get the five done early, which means you land after the first pull, really collect for strides one, two, three, so that maybe you can lighten up on stride four and five so that you are prepared and your horse is light and you're able to leg into the three nicely instead of really, really holding him back for the five strides towards the end of your the end of your line, like stride four and five, but then you're having to gun him to make the three work. I hope that makes sense, but essentially it's really going to help you think where you're at in your course and your track, and it's helping your horse balance and collect and lengthen and shorten 
and really have to think, especially once those numbers start getting a little bit more complex. So that's something I love to do. And that also extends to creating little verticals out of those three jumps and making things a little bit more challenging once they are proper jumps. So that is an exercise I absolutely love and really stand by when it comes to working on the flat or some great jump exercises. The next question I got, I really, really liked, and it was, how do you start the process of buying your first horse? And obviously this is a case by case scenario. And obviously so many of us have wonderful mentors and trainers to look up to and ask these questions. But if I could give you any advice, if you're looking to buy a first horse and you just don't really understand the process, two pieces of advice. One would be do not make it a rushed, rash decision. Take your time. And two, ask all the questions. Rash decisions can be so easy to make when wanting to buy your first horse. You are eager, you want to get started, you might find a horse, you might see a horse online and think, oh my gosh, look how adorable this pony is, I absolutely need it. Emotions can, you know, sometimes get in the way for us equestrians. But I would strongly suggest to take your time, really think it through, make sure it's something that you, A, can afford, B, are willing to invest in for a long period of time, and C, kind of piggybacking off of B, a horse purchase is not just for the foreseeable future or the next couple years or, or until your junior career is over. It is for your horse's entire life. So something that I always tell people and something we talk about on the podcast all the time is that you need to have a game plan for your horse for the rest of his or her life, not just for the years that the horse may be helpful to you in your program. This means that whether you are going to have it find a new home and a new job, once you have uh, finished or completed a certain level that you feel like this horse can, can meet, or you're finding a proper retirement situation, or you are having your horse retire with you, but having some sort of a game plan so that you know that once there is a an additional stage of life that you're prepared for that and your horse is going to be in the best care possible. So that is something that I would consider and something that I think that sometimes not everyone thinks about and and looks through the options when they are initially purchasing their very first horse. And then obviously another big thing to consider is the horse is so much more of an investment than the initial purchase price. You need to think about the initial vetting. You need to think about the hauling to your location. You need to think about board. You need to think about the farrier, the vet bills, the feed, the supplements, the showing, the training, the riding. All of these things and more really do add up. And for a lot of cases, the day in and day out care ends up being so much more than the initial purchase price. So this is something just from a financial standpoint to really take into account depending on your program. You need to be ready and prepared. And I would even venture to say if this is your first horse to even tally this out or put it in an Excel spreadsheet and really map out, okay, what am I going to be charged for my horse getting its feet done every four weeks and vet bills and injections and, you know, you name it. I would line item everything in a spreadsheet and really make sure, okay, is this an investment that I am willing to make 
every single month or every single year. So that would be my advice. The last piece of advice is to do your due diligence before you purchase your horse. Has your horse shown a lot in the past? Go on usequestrian.com and watch all of its show videos. Did you know someone or know of someone or a friend of a friend who used to be at the same barn as this horse? Or did you know the trainer or the rider before? Ask them questions. Do you have a vet that you trust? Do a thorough vet check before purchasing the horse. Depending on your program, get a full scan of x-rays. Really leave no stone unturned when you are making this the very first purchase of an animal. It's such a big investment and it's something that regardless, you're going to get so connected to this animal and it would be so nice for you to know as much information to make a super educated decision about a time investment and financial investment such as a horse. The last written in question that I want to touch on because it's very timely right now. And someone asked, can you explain the shop that's on your website? (laughs) I would love to. It's like I asked this question myself, but I have been so excited about the shop feature on myequestrianstyle.com. It's something that I've been working on for months now, but essentially it's a lot of the products on there are other brands' products. I'm not physically selling. I'm not like a retailer or a boutique where I have a huge stockpile of product in my house that I'm shipping out to you. Essentially, I wanted to create a space where I have different styled outfits and I talk about different riding clothes and lifestyle clothes all the time, but there was always this disconnect or I would receive messages on Instagram where people would have a hard time finding where these pieces actually are. They would have to go down this crazy rabbit trail to find them, or I would do it and spend, you know, a couple hours trying to find something for someone. So I thought it would be so much easier to really beef up my website and needed a good updating anyway, where I can directly link, let's say a post on Instagram or a new blog post that I come out with and say, here are these amazing pieces here's the link. And it just is so much easier, I hope, for people to go on my website. Oh, there's the breeches that Bethany was wearing today. Click on the breeches. It takes you right to the Animo website of the specific NA breeches that I wore in that Instagram post. So that was my idea behind the shop feature. No, I do not have a huge warehouse of all of these products. It was just an easy way to kind of make a transition between Instagram and all of these different websites and brands that I work with. So I hope that explains it. However, with the launch of the shop feature, I came out with a MES collection, which yes, are my physical products. These are four accessories that I created. And one is a MES scrunchie set, which is three different scrunchies in one. It's a black, a solid black one, which everyone needs a solid black scrunchie. And then I have a coral and tan one that is a reoccurring pattern of my new logo. And then the third one is my classic MES stirrup pattern, which is kind of the like Dior inspired pattern made of stirrup irons. Next, I have the MES stirrup pouch, which is this perfectly versatile neoprene pouch, which literally is good for everything. I love it for holding hair nets and spurs and different 
Riding accessories for your ring backpack, but it's also great to have kind of a catch-all in your car, whether it is, you know, chapstick, sunglasses, chargers, things like that. It also makes a great overnight toiletry bag. So that is like the most versatile piece ever. And again, it's in the stirrup pattern. And then I have an amazing saddle bag, which has been a kind of a Dior-inspired saddle bag that is super, super cute, really easy and light. It's this beautiful cream color and has a beautiful stirrup pattern strap that goes with it, or you can unclip it and it's a great clutch. The last item is possibly the one that I was the most excited about just because of how versatile it is, but is the MES stirrup scarf. And it is again, the classic MES stirrup pattern, but it's a beautiful silky scarf that you can literally wear a million ways. I love it. There's so many different shirt options that I'm, I've already done a reel, but I have another one in the works of just tops of how to turn this square scarf into amazing, adorable tops for summer. But obviously it's great in your hair. It's great around your neck. Great to just hang on a bag or a tote to really kind of elevate it and equestrianize it. There are so many different ways to wear it. So I wanted to do four accessories that would be really easy and seamless for you to wear for the barn, but also so easy to wear out and about and away from the barn, but still have you be equestrian and remind you of your equestrian roots. And it looks super classy. I've actually had so many non-equestrian friends buy my pieces, which one is like, ugh the most supportive, amazing thing in the world, but also so fun because it's just a testament to equestrian style being for everyone, not just horse riders. So I've had so much fun with the shop. I've had so much fun coming out for the first time in five years, I actually have my own product. So that's been amazing. And also with some of the brands that have been a part of the shop feature, we have created a limited edition My Equestrian Style piece with them. One being the amazing hoop earrings that I made with Karina Harris from the Hunt Collection, which already sold out. Oh my gosh. And then I made the cropped Fichéval denim jacket with Leah from Dapple Bay, and that just sold out too. So we are going to keep rolling with that because those have been so much fun and have done so well, and you guys loved them. So there are going to be more collaboration pieces coming year round, don't you worry. But thank you for that question. Here's a quick word from our sponsor, Double D Trailers. Founded in 1997, Double D Trailers has been changing the horse trailer industry one customer at a time through the use of safe materials, technologies, and innovation. The experts at Double D Trailers prioritize both horse and human safety through their patented features, such as their Safe Bump roof system, Safe Kick wall system, as well as the company's exclusive Safe Tack and Safe Tack reverse design. Customers rave about the functionality of Double D trailers and find that their problem loader horse now loads with ease thanks to the customizations available from Double D. Why settle for any old average trailer off the dealer lot when you can customize your dream trailer to fit both you and your horse's needs? Learn more at DoubleDTrailers.com. That's D-O-U-B-L-E-D Trailers.com. Or find them on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Double D Horse Trailers. Thank you so much, Double D Horse Trailers. All right, let's get back to the episode. All right, let's get to the voice memo questions for the lovely overachiever ladies that sent me a voice memo, putting you in a little drawing to receive a free MES stirrup pouch. So let's get to these questions. 
Hi, Bethany. My name is Jennifer Kyle from California. I'd love to know, since you are a trainer, how much you are getting to ride yourself and how much you're getting to jump versus how much you are teaching. And do you still have your own personal horse? And if not, is that a goal in the future? Love your podcast. Thanks. Great question. For me personally, this definitely ebbs and flows depending on what horses are at home. So I have a unique situation where I am not a show trainer, but I am a private trainer for a family and am working with them at home. So I am responsible for their practice horses. And so it is my responsibility to keep the horses, the lesson horses, day in and day out rides in check, make sure those horses are balanced and healthy and happy, but then also to make sure that my clients are happy and healthy and balanced as well and ready to show their show horses. So with all that being said, I do ride, but it's more of a maintenance rides for the horses. And it's something that of course, I've struggled with the idea of like, I wish I could ride more. I wish I could jump more. And I used to be really down about that or feel like my skill level as a rider would really start slipping if I wasn't riding as much as, you know, I did when I lived in California as an exercise rider and rode, you know, 10 horses a day. It's just different. It's a different stage of my life as a trainer right now. And I've learned to love it because I've learned to really step back and think, okay, when I'm setting up my schedule to ride and teach for the week, am I riding for the sake of me getting better as a rider or am I riding this horse for the sake of this is what this horse needs right now from me? And it's really helped me prioritize the amount of work that I put, that I give my horse or have my horse go through because I want him to be the best prepared to perform well when the girls are riding him in their lessons, but also have the longevity and health that he needs to be able to do his job for as long as possible. And when it all comes down to it, it's not me getting on it you know, twice a day so that I can become a, you know, a better rider or to keep my muscle or, you know, maintenance rides in. And it's something that I definitely struggled with and something that I've had to work through, but it's something that I feel very content about now. And, you know, that will change next year, the years after. And sometimes I have a bunch of horses in the barn some, and right now I have one. So <laughs> that's a great question. And it all totally depends. And I've, it's just kind of something that I've had to accept as the stage in my life. And that's something that I've become really happy with because I love my job so much. And I love all the different aspects of my jobs. So it's something that you have to have a little give and take. So that's where I'm at right now. Hey, Bethany, I was wondering what your go-to outfit is to beat the heat, especially for you in Florida. I go straight to my long sleeve sun shirts, but even that in days gets super hot and I just don't know what are some other good options than just wearing t-shirts because that's boring and you're very fashionable. So let me know. Thanks. Thanks for the question, Allison. I think as equestrians, we either need to prioritize feeling cool or feeling like our skin is protected from the sun sometimes, especially in Florida or in California or the high heat environments. 
that is so important to protect our skin. So I think that the equestrian industry within the fashion space has done a great job in creating some products that are super breathable and cooling. But yes, let's be honest, on the 100 degree days where it's like borderline if you should even ride a long sleeve, no matter what material, you're still gonna sweat buckets. But there are some some pieces that I really love that I do feel like do its very best job to keep me cool in the summer. Something also to keep into consideration as much as I, I can't believe I'm saying this because I am the biggest advocate for wearing all black everything. But there is something to be said about wearing lighter colors in the summer and it's just not as hot. So Something that I'm thinking of off the top of my head is the TKX crew neck riding tops have been amazing addition to my closet. They're available on the shop. If you want to go take a look, there's a ton of TKX products, but their athletics line has been so nice because their products are so breathable. It's kind of the crew neck's kind of like a Lululemon dupe in my opinion, but I like it more for riding because have you noticed those Lululemon crew neck tops have such a long torso and I feel like it's such a pain to tuck in because it gets really bunchy in your breeches. Well, this TK at crew neck top is amazing. It's like a seamless, it's a perfect amount of torso so you can still easily tuck it in, but it's not super bunchy and it is so breathable. Obviously that one does not have a collar. They do have the Quinn competition shirt, which is amazing. I love the Aisling Equestrian light linen shirt. It's super, it's a, it's a very lightweight shirt, but it's super stretchy, super breathable, and it has a nice collar and kind of like a put together look. So those are some things, those are kind of my go-to tops. Obviously, if you're wearing a crew neck, I would strongly suggest a hat, a wide brim hat or a visor on your helmet, again, for the sun protection, but also just to get some parts of your body in the shade. So if you're creating that shade for yourself through a hat, by all means do it. So that would be my biggest piece of advice. Otherwise, make sure you are investing in a high quality cooler where you can pack some drinks and some cool food to cool you down and that will stay cool all day, especially if you're, you know, at a horse show or at a place where you're out of an air conditioned room or you know, you're not very close to one. So those would be my recommendations, but yeah, for those crazy crazy hot summer months, there's not too much you can do besides having something breathable that will still protect your skin. Here's Allison again with another question. Hi, Bethany. have another question. I was wondering what your tips are for fixing posture while riding. If your shoulders go back, but then they just slowly over time scooch forward. If you have any tips, that would be great. Thank you. I love this question because I think it is a big part of our industry, especially within the professional space where you get that professional slump. And that happens to the best of us, especially if you were riding lots of horses, your body starts getting in protective mode and you get that slump so that you can get through your day of multiple rides, multiple to show. And it's just what happens. I mean, I think when some of us don't have constant instruction from trainers to really you know, fix that posture and to kind of go back to your equitation and your position, you kind of get, you know, gravity and your body gets weak and tired over time, you start getting that slouch. I actually am really passionate about this topic and I wrote a blog post and created a video about how to fix poor riding posture. So it's on my website at myequestrianstyle.com slash 
poor dash posture. It's in the lifestyle section of my website, but I give three different ways to combat poor riding posture and then give some exercises that I really think help keep your back and your upper body protected. There's a product that I like to use and that's the Equifit Shoulders Back. It's an amazing tool for you to really feel where your shoulders should be, almost overcompensate where your shoulders can be. So it's really nice to kind of feel that. But the other thing that I really like to think about is a mental aspect of your posture and that it's a little trick that I like to do um, that a friend of mine taught me a few years back. And that is to, if you, everyone wants to think about this, sitting in wherever you are as if you are sitting on your horse, thinking about having a collared shirt on like you may you may have if you're riding and to think about pushing your chin backwards so that the back of your neck touches the back collar of your shirt. If you do that for a minute, think about what you just did and how you kind of realigned your head and your neck from kind of slanting forward and slouching forward to then sitting up and your head is actually aligned with the neck and the rest of your body. So that's something that I try to do while I'm riding, especially when I'm posting the trot. I tend to notice when I watch video of backup myself, I notice I when I slouch forward, a lot of times it's my chin kind of jutting out ahead of the rest of my body. So I really think about pushing my chin back so that the back of my neck is touching the back collar of my shirt. So I hope that tip was helpful. Again, more tips like that and a video over at myequestrianstyle.com slash poor dash posture. Hi, Bethany. I would love some advice on making the hard decision to maybe move your horse to a different barn. There could be a number of reasons you'd want to make this decision. You know, whatever your riding goals are, money, any, you know, turnout conditions, whatever. But making that decision to move to a different barn. So sort of what to think about. And then also once you maybe have made that decision, how to have that conversation with your trainer in your current barn. Great question, Lauren. This obviously is tricky because as you alluded to, everyone has different reasons for wanting or needing to leave your current boarding or training situation. But when it all comes down to it, you just have a couple things that you need to think of before you make that decision. And one would be the kind of why behind it. Is it a you know non-negotiable, I need to move for X, Y, and Z? Or is it something that you think you might have a better situation at this other place down the road? I would just be careful if you are thinking more in that regard. Obviously, the grass is always greener on the other side, but I think that really thinking through the why behind your move is a great first. The other thing is I would think then about an exit strategy and just the overall etiquette of doing this. The Obviously, this is all a business, but I think that with our industry, there are so many emotions of all involved. Not only is do you have a relationship with your trainer, but your trainer also has a relationship with your horse. And your horse has, you know, relationship and a routine at the current facility. So obviously not knowing the entire situation, some of those dynamics may still be great. So trying to figure out how you want to go about creating a 
exit strategy that is open and honest and really follows etiquette, which would be communication is such a big part of transitioning to a new program. I think that having a sit-down in-person conversation is of utmost importance with your trainer when you are going to change barns. I think being honest about any issues you may have is great and would be ideal. If you feel like it's something based on, you know, knowing a trainer or knowing a situation where that is not going to be helpful, I would try to, you know, as a rule of thumb, be as upfront and honest and communicative as possible. Obviously, you know the full situation, but that would be my piece of advice is to have a sit down in person conversation with your trainer and just say, hey, look, I am looking at other options. I just wanted to be upfront with you that I am in the process of looking elsewhere and would love for you to respect my decision on that. The other thing you need to think of as far as your exit strategy is finding out any type of feed or supplements or routine or program or anything that you might not know, let's say if you're in a little bit more of a hands-off situation or if you're at a barn with full care, and those are specific information that you need to relay on to the next program just to make sure you have all of those. Horses are very finicky when it comes to feed and supplements and hay, and all of those things are about to change, whether, you know, as as diligent as we can be to writing everything down, just the hay and the amount of grass and the type of grass and the, you know, everything is going to just tweak slightly for your horse. So going through that process, just make sure that this situation is worth it. And that's definitely something you want to do. Obviously, I think almost everyone goes through a point in their life where they change barns. So it's kind of an inevitable situation. So my advice would be to have an organization process where you have as much information as possible from the barn hand, your trainer, the owner of the barn, that sort of thing, as well as a super upfront, honest conversation. Talk to your trainer, tell them when you're moving, have an exit plan, have an end date and a moving date so that those plans can be put in place. Hey, Bethany. My question for you is what past experience or education helped you get to where you are in your career today? Thanks for the question, Melissa. I would say there isn't a very specific situation that helped me get to where I am today because I do so many different, I wear kind of so many different hats. So it's really kind of hard to say, but I think a big rule of thumb that I try to live by is that if you do things that you are passionate about and you work really hard and really consistently, things eventually are going to happen for you. One specific instance that I can think of is my job when I first became a professional, when I was 22 years old living in California. I had just taken four years off of riding completely, you know, besides here or there in the summer, but really not riding at all for four years while I was in college and then started riding again as an exercise rider, but I'd been out of the game. You know, I knew and had ridden my whole life, really wanted to give riding a try again, but I didn't have the opportunity to ride in college. So I really was nervous to step into this role. And I definitely told my boss in California, hey, I have been off 
quite a while. So it's going to take a minute. And he really took me under his wing and really helped me along and got me the rides that I needed and the fitness and the knowledge and the training. And I really felt like I fully understood the idea of riding a horse properly and communicating with a horse by using your aids and your connection. And I just really think that finding someone who does what you do and does it really well to find them and ask questions. And, you know, I wasn't getting paid the big bucks and I was working super long hours. Like I was in bed by like 7.30 every night because of how early I was waking up to ride and to work all day. But it was so worth it because what I came away with after those couple years of working there was the knowledge that I still use to this day on how to properly ride a horse. It was a lot of hard work, but super rewarding. So I think if I could give you any advice, if you are looking to do something and you know of someone who already does it well, ask them questions, see if you can help them, see if you can work with them to really kind of soak up all of that info. As far as my equestrian style and the podcast, those are just things that I I think my equestrian style started because of my passion for photography and fashion and riding and f- trying to find a way to put them all together. And then it really just came down to nitty gritty hard work and consistency that I really think helped me get me to where I am today. And the podcast was just kind of residual of that hard work. I really started having conversations with people when I would travel to horse shows with my clients and really felt like there was a need in the space. And because I had already grown some amazing connections through my equestrian style, it became a pretty easy segue to create something like the podcast. So again, I would say, while the California job was such a pivotal moment in my life and my training career, for my equestrian style and equestrian podcast, a lot of it was just finding a passion within the industry that I could create a role in, and then just a lot of hard work and consistency. All right, here is our last question. Hey, Bethany, I have a couple questions to ask. My first question is, what do you think separates you from the other equestrian content creators slash influencers out there? My second question is, I'd love to hear more about the job you have as a trainer. I think you have a really cool setup, and I'd love to hear more about what you do with Isha and Reina when you're at home versus at the show. And my last question is, what is your least favorite part about being a content creator? Do you suffer from burnout or lack of ideas? And what do you do to help fix that? Thanks. Woo, those were good questions, Jocelyn. Honestly, I have never been asked your first question before about what sets me apart from other content creators or influencers in the space. And I think it's because I think the industry is still so small that we could probably still count. I mean, there's hundreds now, but when I first started, we could probably count on like one hand other people who were kind of doing what I was doing with creating content for brands and influencing the space with fashion and lifestyle. So it's been an interesting journey for sure. But I feel like, honestly, I feel like if you look at every single equestrian influencer, just kind of based on it being such a niche market, that there's really unique aspects that every person brings to the table. And this isn't me trying to come up with like a PC answer to your question, but I genuinely think that we, you can have 
five influencers promote the same garment and they do it in such a different style of photography. They use different voice. They promote it in different creative ways. They wear it with different articles of clothing, both at the barn or not at the barn. So I just feel like there's really a lot of differences where, you know, if you look at mainstream fashion, there's, you know, millions of influencers. And yeah, there's going to be a, quite a bit of overlap, but that's also just because it's such a big market. Whereas our industry, there, it's still pretty small. But I would say if I had to give you an answer of what sets me apart is that I think I have a specific and kind of unique role being a professional and an influencer. I think I may be one of the only ones. So there's probably, you know, a small handful as a trainer and a profession, have a professional status as an influencer. There's a, there's a good chunk of people who are amateur riders or have ridden growing up or, or things like that, but hold an amateur status, which just, I feel like has a different flair to it. So being able to provide you with riding and training advice as a professional, I think is a really fun aspect to my equestrian style. So I would say that that would be what sets me apart. For your second question, kind of the you know, the overall overview of my job, that is definitely, I talk about in episode 17 of the podcast, I would love for you to kind of take, take a minute if you haven't already and listen to that. But essentially I am a private trainer. I'm a practice trainer for, for a family out of Jacksonville, Florida. And so I act as their home trainer. I help them with their day in and day out grind of lessons and daily riding when we aren't showing. So my role is to work with the practice horses, make sure they are in a good frame of mind to have productive lessons for my clients. And then I teach the clients and I get, I really work very closely with the girls show trainers, Jeffrey Hesslink and Brendan Williams. Williams. And so I'm constantly in communication with them about things that they should work on, things that went well, that we thought went well at the show, things that we thought that they really need to get back home and work on. And so that's something that we do because the girls go to school full time. They don't go to school on the road. And so they're needing to go back and forth quite a bit with their, with a rigorous school schedule and a rigorous show schedule. So when we're at home, that's what we're doing. And then I also travel with them quite often to their horse shows. So I become part part of the show team and help prep horses, help at the in gate, help at the ring, help girls warm up over the jumps and and get them into the ring and join the Hesling Williams team when we are at the horse shows. So it's a super fun dynamic and it really allows me to see how they do, you know, in the show ring and what to kind of take back with us and work on and helps get helps me get to know the show horses because they aren't horses that I work with on a on a daily basis. So it's definitely a very unique situation something that not many other people have within the industry, but I really do love it. And I think it has worked very well for us. The girls have to be really on top of it. They have to really prioritize riding and riding at home and being able to ride different types of animals and kind of pinpoint, even though the horses are so different from home to show, what things that they can work on or things that are maybe harder at home with the horse at home and really kind of practice those so that it's easier for them at the shows. It's a very unique dynamic and something that we've had to work through some hurdles and had some high points and low points for sure, but it's such 
a fulfilling and rewarding job being a support to this family and this team. And so that's what I do. It's a very unique role in the industry for sure, but I have been so blessed and fortunate to be a part of it in that way. Okay, the last question. I don't even know if I've been asked that either. These were good questions. The least, my least favorite part of being a content creator and do I get burned out? And any tips if I do feel that burnout? Super interesting. I would say, of course, I think with any job, and I preach all day long about how I love my jobs and I do. I love the podcast. I love MES. I love training. They're, I just really do always, I'm constantly pinching myself because I love all of my roles. But with anything, I don't care how much of a dream job you have, doing something day in and day out gets old. It gets tiring. We have, we're human, you know, we get tired. We have times of the month. We get (laughs) overworked. It, yeah, we're human and it's life. So of course I have felt like I have been burned out from all three different roles for sure. I would say my least favorite part of content creating is just the kind of the the mundane tasks, like all the behind the scenes stuff that make it look like it's a very seamless operation. All of the blog posts, the coding, the editing, all like the thousands and thousands and thousands of photos, video, blog post editing, email lists, sending those out, content creation planning, filling out the content calendar, all the communications over emails, staying up to date on email. That gets a lot. And you see me you know, la-di-da, life is great, you know, on my feed and on stories. And it is, I'm not trying to paint a perfect picture. What I do on my feed is I try to showcase amazing things, which has always been my goal. I love pretty pictures of horses and riding and equestrian style. My stories are more of my day-to-day life and they're meant to be casual and fun and goofy and random and weird. And my reels have gotten that way too. I have noticed I went back and watched a lot of them and I'm like, I cannot believe that that is out in the world. (laughs) But if it makes you laugh or smile or cringe or whatever, share it with a friend, happy to be that for you. But I would say overall, just all the background stuff is probably my least favorite part. And that's something my friend Leah and I from Dapple Bay have created the equestrian workshop where we meet with a bunch of equestrian entrepreneurs to build their businesses and focus on marketing and social media branding and management. And this is something we really talk about a lot. And that is the idea of outsourcing. So that's something I'm always trying to work on is to find the things that I'm really good at and really love and energize me versus the things that I don't like and I'm not good at and that really deflate me and that are the least favorite part of my job. Those are the things that I try to find people within the industry or elsewhere that are really good at those things, can do it way faster, and it's cheaper for them to do it than all the time that I may spend on doing it. So That's something that I'm always trying to work on. And I think finding things like that, whether that be through interns or staff members or people that I hire out to outsource those things really help prevent the burnout. So that would be my uh, answer to that burnout question. 
Well, that wraps up all the questions I'm going to have you go through today. We had so many more. So I think I'm going to do this more often because it was super fun to go through all the questions and just kind of hear what things people were wondering about and things and topics that I want to touch on more or things that I need to make sure that I'm cluing you in and on my life that you had a lot of questions about. So thank you so much for taking the time. I hope you had fun with this. As always, if you ever have a question, feel free to email me hello at myequestrianstyle.com. Shoot me a DM on My Equestrian Style or Equestrian Podcast DMs. Happy to chat with you. And visit the website. There's a contact form there. We I have so many blog posts. I have lots of reels that you can have a good time watching. And now the new shop feature where you can shop all of my favorite pieces as well as my MES shop collection. So I had so much fun chatting and hearing from you and hearing all your pretty voices ask these amazing questions. And I had a good time. I for sure need to do this again. So thank you all so much for tuning into the Equestrian Podcast. We're back to normal programming on Thursday, but thanks for taking the time and hope you're having a great day. All right, that is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute and write a review on iTunes. I would so appreciate it. It helps people like you find the podcast and it helps me get some killer guests. Thank you so much and I will talk to you next week.